Our God and our Father, we thank you for the beautiful, beautiful way in which your Spirit works. Even in our midst here this morning, thank you that Jesus is alive. The news that we have to share, it's not just that he died like it was on the day when the president died. He did not stay in the grave. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. May we, Lord Jesus, be the light that you want us to be. May we be connected to the source of the light that is the light of the world. And with these words that our brothers have shared with us already this morning, Lord, as we go into your word a bit further, would you give us some tools? Would you give us some, something to, to apply to our daily lives, some step to take on how that we can proclaim that good news of Jesus Christ, how that we can be the light? How that we can find purpose in our lives. Every one of us. In the many varied places that you've placed us. Oh Father, I pray that your word would speak to us. I pray that you would direct my thoughts, my heart, and my tongue. To convey that which your spirit wants to speak. Not one word more, not one word less. Be exalted, we pray, in this part of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles for an introduction to Matthew. Chapter 28, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just for an introduction. For a title this morning, Discipleship, the Means to the End. Discipleship, the Means to the End. Jesus said, in Matthew 28. I'm sorry, am I supposed to have a lapel on? Didn't think about that. I didn't know if I was supposed to do something. I'm, if I'm missing something, but I'll just continue if that's fine. Um, <clears throat> Jesus said here in um, Matthew 28, he is speaking to his disciples, those with whom he has been doing discipleship. In the context of those where he has lived out the example, he has given us meaning of what discipleship means. And now at the end, his very last moments, he says these words about going. We're, we're familiar with this passage in the end of Matthew, mostly because I think of the factor of going. That's often how it's used. <clears throat> I don't want to use it that way today. 
you might think, uh oh, Tim turned to Matthew 28. He's going to give it to us now. We've got to all go to Africa. <coughs> no, I don't think we're going to talk much about going this morning. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there's a lot more packed into these words. We can say Jesus' final words than going. <clears throat> there is Jesus' position first to speak these words. All power is given unto me. There is <clears throat> teaching instructed that we are to do. There is baptizing. And then there's teaching again. On what level? All things. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Discipleship, the means to the end. <clears throat> In English, we have this helpful word, the. Very foundational words, a little word, you don't think much about it. We don't know, we don't consider it usually a very powerful word or a very helpful word. But in Swahili, we lack that word or any other word that would fill that um, place. One of you students, uh, should I pick on a 12-year-old, someone in there, tell me if you uh, diagram a sentence, what do you do with the word the? What do you call it? There's also a and an, I believe, would fit the exact same category. Can someone help me out? Yes. Not an adjective. Thank you. What do we call it? Anybody? Any moms? Any teachers? <laughs> the art, an article. That's right. <clears throat> an article. A, an, and the are articles. <clears throat> we don't have that function at all in Swahili. And so, um, you find interesting things happening sometimes in Swahili in order to try to have the same effect. But the word the simply means it's specific. Uh, Here, it's the and. Now, what would happen if we would say the means to an end? Does that change the meaning at all? The means to an end. No, we're not talking about just any end. We're talking about the end. The means to the end. Now, there is a point in time, or maybe you could say the breaching into eternity, where the end comes to all this world. Is that right? Most Bible translations would give a bit more description, maybe accuracy, uh, specificity to this word. uh, The end of the world. Most would say the end of the age. That would be true for all translations also in Swahili. Uh, so I think it's well uh, agreed that when he's talking about the end of the world, he's not talking necessarily about Timbuktu. Now, it's easy for us to conclude that. I always thought that through all my growing up years. Not necessarily Timbuktu, but some very remote place in the world. Um, <clears throat> but it says, to the end of the age. I believe it also does apply, even in context, maybe because of the context, that's why we tend to think it's some remote place, because he's talking about we should go, we should go take this everywhere, <clears throat> this message of the gospel, and making disciples. <clears throat> but 
But discipleship is the means to the end. Now, you bear with me if it feels presumptuous uh, to say that is the means, specifically the only means. It's not just a means, but is the means to the end. Now, that's probably debatable, and I'll leave that open. Uh, but uh, let's think of that a bit because there are many different things you could talk about that are a means to the end. But discipleship is, is broad. And we'll look at some specifics today, but it is broad. And I believe that there are many different things you could talk about or, or different means, different uh, tools, different uh, functions that Christ wants us to use um, <clears throat> to get to the end. But discipleship, uh, <clears throat> many of these, I believe, would come as, as subheadings under discipleship. <clears throat> So discipleship, the means to the end, the end of the age, also to the end of the world. <clears throat> it is that which we have to, to take with us. If we were going to do the work that Christ has commissioned us to do anywhere in the world, there is not unique and new and inventive uh, methods for getting the job done. Discipleship is the means. Um, one brother uh, mentioned to me how that uh, he was in a church and, and, and the church was trying to be innovative and, and create these, these spaces, these free spaces, these, these youth spaces. Uh, they called it these spaces in order to experience Christianity, in order to be brought into the church and, and uh, Okay, so we can have different terms, and that's all, that's all okay. Maybe it's language. But, uh, you know, drama is not a new thing that came into the world here in the last hundred years. It's been, it's been greatly proliferated through the screen. But we don't have to, all of a sudden, in this generation, adopt drama or entertainment in order to fulfill the Great Commission. <clears throat> Discipleship, the means to the end. They had drama in Jesus' day. They had it in the Colosseums. They had the games. <clears throat> With all of its pump and all of its popularity and all of its fans. <clears throat> Discipleship, I like to propose, is the means to the end. <clears throat> and uh, this is a bit pun intended. The means to the end. Uh, it is the means to the end, the purpose, the purpose for which Christ has come into the world, lived the example, died, rose again. He had a purpose. Discipleship was the means to meet that purpose. Discipleship is the means for you to fulfill your purpose. For me to fulfill my purpose. Discipleship is the means to the end. <clears throat> the end of why you were born. The end of why you are sitting here in Town this morning. It's the means. To fulfill that purpose. The means to the end. Okay, so a little bit double meaning intended there. <clears throat> 
Discipleship is the way to, for you to realize and to fulfill the purpose for getting up tomorrow morning. Discipleship is the way for you to realize um, a sense of purpose in that truck that you drive tomorrow or that minivan to the grocery store. Those little mouths to feed, the neighbor to to greet. Is it possible that we could find purpose that would drive us and would, on an ongoing basis, transform our lives. Discipleship. Um, To some extent, this, what I'm sharing, was uh, in part inspired by Brother Earl's last message. Anyone can help us? What was the title of Brother Earl's last message here three weeks ago in July? If you're drawing a blank, you're not better than me. I drew a blank. I had to go ask Brother Earl. I drew a blank. <laughs> he drew a blank. He had to look in his OneDrive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Intentional living. <clears throat> Intentional living. Discipleship, <clears throat> perhaps, can fill our lives so much that our lives are so intentional that the very practical things that we were challenged with in that sermon will happen quite naturally. <clears throat> I'm very glad for those, that practical instruction and warnings. Uh, I'm not going to get as practical as Brother Earl did there. I'll leave that to, to, to the one who has the responsibility to, to shepherd this flock. Um, <clears throat> in that sense, I don't think I'm going to get quite that practical, um, of the things that we maybe should not do if we are true disciples of Christ. But I would like to, in some way, just lift our sights a bit to things that we can do, that we must do, things that uh, could so occupy our lives that we're quite happy to sacrifice, to lay aside other things. I'm going to say some things here that I am... I feel like, if at all, only a very small percentage, very small amount experiencing currently. Um, And even more than I have ever experienced. But I believe the Word of God has some things to to inspire our hearts with. Uh, So I don't come saying, uh, you know, get this and and, and get with it. Um, But... I would like us all to just honestly look at the word of God, examine our lives and set our sights and continue to press forward to the mark as Apostle Paul teaches us there in Philippians. Discipleship, the means to the end, the means for us to fulfill the purpose with which God has put you and I in this world and God has placed us uh, in our specific uh, places of responsibility Um, places geographically, uh, relationships. Before we go a little further and start looking at some definition of what is discipleship, uh, let's let's think about some significant things in our lives. I believe that are common to mankind, common to every man, every woman. Uh, 
who here does not need purpose? A sense of meaning. A sense of fulfilling purpose. <clears throat> a goal. Something to, to strive for. Something that can be attained. Something that you can, gives you a, an opportunity to make a difference. Discipleship, the means to that end. <clears throat> Who here does not have a relationship which you would like to be improved? Most of us, relationships are very important to us. We vary a lot in how important relationships are to us, but I believe all of us have very, very important relationships. And probably some of your most important relationships you would like to to do your part and you would like the other person in the relationship to do his or her part more to improve it. I believe that is impacted by how we view and practice discipleship. Discipleship, the means to that end. Um, including that, we could say loneliness. I think sometimes uh, there's pain, emotional pain, relational pain that comes not because you don't have people around you, but because there's unmet expectations in the relationships that you have around you. Think about that a little bit. Discipleship. The means to the end of the pain. Discipleship. The means to the end of fulfillment in those relationships. <clears throat> want to jog our thinking and just kind of open up little pockets of our hearts and of our lives and so that we we have those open we have those out uh, on the table so that as we look at the word we can see and I believe God's spirit can try to help to prompt us how this might apply to me and to you <clears throat> I have confidence that all of us here Though we're very different places in maturity and growth and time and experiences, all of us have a deep desire to know Jesus and to grow in knowing Him. Even though we have a desire, we desire to grow in desiring Him. Discipleship, the means to that end. I believe all of us Read our Bibles regularly. We have a desire to know God's Word. We have a desire to become more familiar with God's Word and to be fed by God's Word. There's many different ways to read God's Word and to have it become a part of us. I would propose that discipleship could be a means to that end. <clears throat> to give you exercise in God's Word. <clears throat> There are things that need to happen in your home. There are things that need to happen on this level here in the local congregation. There are things that need to happen maybe with other relatives that are not in your home. <clears throat> there are fathers here, there are mothers here that desire to give, to have the opportunity, to have the openness in relationships, to give the instruction that's needed to their children. There are um, young people here, I don't doubt, 
and I will be vulnerable and say in my own home, I'm guessing there are, there are young people that desire to have more relationship with their parents. They wish mom and dad would understand better. They wish mom and dad would be more caring uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> make more effort to, to show, um, to identify with them and, and uh, relate to them show approval and blessing while they still need to maybe instruct and correct. There's spiritual growth that's needed. There's weakness. There might be failure. There might be sin. There might even be habitual sin. It might be bondages here in this room. I'm going to guess, knowing my own life and my own wicked tendency of my natural man there are numerous people in this room that are in that position right now I feel it is our responsibility every one of us to both pursue each other and find out in humble caring ways but it's also your responsibility if you are in sin you're in bondage you don't want to be there you've confessed many times it's also your responsibility to pursue and to find someone within the context of local church someone who you will open up to and you will request and you'll pursue to be discipled discipleship is the means to that end. The means to victory and instruction and in growth. We could talk about many things. We talk about discipleship and we will. It's going to be a little bit broad here today. Uh, First, what is discipleship? Let's get a little bit of definition. Webster says that discipleship or a disciple, a disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. And another uh, definition expands on this significantly says in Christianity, disciple primarily refers to a dedicated follower of Jesus This term is found in the New Testament only in the Gospels and Acts. In the ancient world, a disciple is a follower or adherent of a teacher. It is not the same thing as being a student in the modern sense. So I want to note here before we go on that I think rightfully so. We we are bound by language. And first of all, again, we have the privilege in English to use the word disciple. In Swahili, we just say monafunzi, just means student. We don't have a distinctive term. Um, but this is a dated word. It's a dated word. If you go out and ask the average person down the street here um, where I can find a disciple, you're probably going to get a blank stare. Right? If you go and say, hey, where can I find a student around here? Say, oh, well, my neighbor has two students. Or, you know, they won't get blank stares. <clears throat> It's a dated term, but the reason we still use it is because we don't have 
in our broad or significant part of our culture, we don't have this function happening outside of Christianity. That's why it's necessary even a secular writer to, to, to reference Christianity um, or doctrine. It is tied to religion and specifically Christian religion and a specific era. So we have to be fair with that and look back and put it in context a little bit. There was a practice, and this is significant for us to realize, we are, we do, we are not conditioned properly by the world around us to understand discipleship. They don't understand it. They don't do it. They don't have place for it. Now, they, even secular people who have no claim to Christianity will take many different approaches, uh, many different mentorship programs. There's many different things out there. Uh, but let's remember that discipleship is dated. Uh, does not mean that it cannot happen in today's date. But what it means is, if we're going to look at where we can really put this in context, uh, back there in the, uh, the time of Christ, it seems that it was much more common in broad culture for there to be this thing called discipleship. There's this thing of, of people making disciples. And again, it wasn't the context of the Jewish religion. Jewish religion did uh, permeate culture, uh, broad culture, more than we could say Christianity does today in, in, our, in our land. Um, and if there was a rabbi who was significant, who was in high demand, who was um, prominent, oftentimes he very wisely would try to duplicate himself. And this happened on in the early church, perhaps even more intentionally in the early church than it was just in Jewish culture, but he would spread himself too thin if he would reach around and take every speaking engagement, every teaching opportunity, if he would reach to every village and every town and uh, where, where you know, he was needed for his gift of, of teaching and, 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 um, and uh, explaining the Holy Scriptures, or the Jewish law. So he would duplicate himself, and how he would do that, he would choose one, maybe two, maybe a few people who are willing to lay aside their normal lives. So this is a two-way relationship. Willing to lay aside their normal lives and willing to give their full time and attention to this one man. They would pattern their lives after him. They would eat with him. They would sleep with him. They would wear clothes with him. They would be like him. They would, they would intentionally give themselves to be like him, not just internalize what his knowledge, but they would pattern their lives after him. So a, a student can go to a classroom, can receive information, knowledge, um, I'm sure all of us have done this in varying forms. It might be uh, going and got a first aid class or CPR class, or it might be um, you name it. You go to even some secular place. Uh, maybe I, I think uh, did someone, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, was it here a couple weeks ago? Someone asked if anyone's had OSHA classes uh, and different things like this. We've had different kinds of classes. You go to the secular place, you know nothing about that person's morality, but well, there's some information he has and you need. You're being a student. You're not going to, to pursue this man and, and become like him. You're just simply being a student. So 
That's on the other end of the scale. We are to be disciples of Christ. We are to be followers of Christ. Jesus exemplified that in the way that he called and daily lived with and discipled his 12 disciples. Um, We see a little bit of that with John as well, his disciples. We know it's not unique just to Jesus. And if you go on and look at um, the Antonicene writings, the early church, uh, you see that uh, some of the apostles themselves that we know here in the scriptures, but then others also were leaders in the church who, who had much church responsibility, who were very effective teachers. They could not reach around. They very wisely made disciples. And so much so, it was so effective that the church depended on those disciples I believe John, the Apostle John specifically is referenced as uh, his disciples. uh, They would, when they came up with, let's say, 20 and 30 years down the road, the Apostle's gone. That church leader's gone. They needed to know, with this new situation we didn't experience back then, how do we handle this? How should the church handle this? How do we teach? How do we practice? Oh, go get his disciple. He'll speak on his behalf. We need wisdom. He could have helped us. But his disciple should be able to do just as good of a job uh, or very similarly uh, and give us advice. He will be able to tell us what would that apostle have said. So they were able to duplicate themselves. Discipleship. The means to the end. What we have here in Matthew 28, we have repeated emphasis on teaching. Repeated emphasis on teaching. Teaching is the way to get someone... um, from being an unbeliever to become a believer. Teaching is the way to prepare someone for baptism. Teaching is the way to take someone on after baptism. To understand and to practice all of the things that Jesus has taught us. <clears throat> Teaching. Now, Anabaptists, and broader than just Anabaptists, but Anabaptists particularly like to pride themselves, they feel distinctive in the sense that we believe in discipleship. Is that right? Do we do that much more teaching? Well, here are some things that we are strong in, and these are parts of discipleship. And as we will see, they're very necessary, perhaps, maybe more vital than we commonly think to discipleship. Discipleship includes cross-bearing. We're going to look at that then in uh, Mark, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke 14. Uh, Before we go to there, Jesus mentions discipleship also in the book of John. We have lots of references to the disciples and people who became disciples then in the early church and in the Gospels and then in the book of Acts. But instruction on what does it mean to be a disciple and how to become a disciple and how to work out discipleship. We have, um, if you if you do a simple search on the word disciple, you will see that it shows up mostly in the book of Luke and mostly in just chapter 14. <clears throat> but also refers in the book of John, um, chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Then you are true disciples. 
And so I want to start by saying I feel very privileged. I feel very blessed this morning to be a part of a group of believers here in Schaeferstown, Pennsylvania, Oasis Christian Fellowship, that continues in the Word of Christ. Steadfastness is a very important part of discipleship. We could look at the parables of the sower Jesus gave and the seed that goes and and it wasn't the seed that sprouted fast. It wasn't the seed that uh, that that looked most beautiful in the first uh, days. But it was that seed which endured, not that which withered quickly, was choked out quickly, or burnt by the sun because it was hard ground. The seed which endures, and um, discipleship includes steadfastness. It has longevity. Discipleship requires endurance. It requires discipline. It requires doing what you don't feel like doing. It requires doing the same good thing today if it was good, if it was right yesterday and last month when it was easy. Now when it's tough, it's still the right thing to do and I do it because it's right. Not because I have the right emotions. Discipleship includes, obviously, if it includes this kind of continuing in my word, it includes commitment. I will not be moved. The house that is built on a rock. <clears throat> so, bless you, brothers and sisters, for being a church where there is steadfastness and there is continuing intentionally in my word. <clears throat> Changes come, and I know that this group is not exactly what it was five years ago when we left you, but be not dissuaded, be not discouraged, there is continuance here. Take heart and take courage. Depends on where you compare, you could be discouraged, but I would like to say also depends on where you compare, you have very much to be thankful for. I have a lot to be thankful for with my very varied life and um, um, just thing of being gone for years at a time, come back and there is a solid continuance continuing. There is a commitment to God's word. There is Uh, Many other examples you could look at where individuals, families, churches have, as a whole, moved very quickly. Also in John 15, verse 8, Jesus gives some description to discipleship. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. That ye bear much fruit. Galatians would teach us what is what is fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. It's heart things that comes out there. Is that right? You have peace. You have love. You have joy. You have gentleness. All these character things. 
bear much of it. Amen? I want to encourage you. You are. Continue to bear much fruit. And God help us to aspire to bear much more. Another form of bearing fruit is bringing souls. Bringing those who do not know Christ to know him. And that is, he says, so shall you be my disciples. That is the way that you will be my disciple. Being disciples, a little bit more perspective from Barna. Um, Statistics. Among American Christians who say discipleship is important. These are Christians who already profess that discipleship is important. More than one-third say they prefer to pursue discipleship on their own. I got my prayer closet. I got my Bible. I can pray. They're looking at discipleship simply in pursuing what it means to follow Christ, pursuing what it means to to become more religious. Discipleship, uh, one-third, more than one-third, say they prefer to pursue it on their own. Don't you bother me. I don't have to try to figure out how to work with you or to be influenced by you or to submit to you or to try to have an impact on you. See? That is a significant portion of modern Christian idea of what discipleship. I mean, that's actually possible, maybe even, to be pursued on your own. But about one third, on the flip side, are actually including some form of one-on-one discipleship. One, me, one person with one other person. Some form of learning and or being taught uh, and or teaching one-on-one. I'd say there's probably many uh, who have ideals about, yeah, that's that's what it should look like. uh, Or I want to, I'll get there, I'm making steps, but there's some who are actually doing it. I'd be one of those that uh, I think I'd be stronger on the side of what I'd like to see than what I'm actually doing. And I'm sure there's a continuum. We're experiencing some and we want more. We're all at different places. And here is, is uh, a little piece of statistics, which I find very, very fascinating. Uh, 20% of these who claim that discipleship is important have sought out their own mentor. Have sought out their own mentor. And so I would uh, plead with you, and this is significantly based on my own experience, um, in this setting, I would plead with you, do not wait until someone comes along like Jesus did and stops you from casting your net, says, will you be my disciple? Now, would to God that I myself and every other brother and sister in this room who has walked with God for any length of time would be actively doing that and going and finding those and stopping those who are casting their nets and say, please be my disciple. But 
you find what you need. At least request it. If it's not possible, come talk to John and Earl. <laughs> if you, you request it and st- you can't find it, no one's going to uh, fulfill your request. <clears throat> um, find it. Do what it takes. You pursue it. And I'll also say this on behalf of the leadership of the church here. Um, it sure is a whole lot easier to give input to someone who's pursuing it and wants it, desires it, and ask questions. Please tell me. I, I did this, or I'm thinking about doing this. Um, and if you want the practical examples, go back and re-listen again to the sermon that Brother Earl uh, brought to us here three weeks ago. <clears throat> Intentional living. So pursue your own mentor. <clears throat> Let's turn to Luke. Um, I'm going to first read a bit in Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> this reinforces the fact that it's not just to be a student of someone to get some information without giving any care to who that person is. <clears throat> the person that we are being discipled by, we are to, to pattern our lives after him. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Um, I think that particularly when we are to in in our relationship directly being discipled by Christ, there is no way you will be above your master. Uh, But I do not believe that even if you are being discipled by another person who is 10, 20 years or more older than you, does that mean that there's no area in your life which you may not be doing better than that one you're being discipled by? I don't think that we have to uh, take that strict interpretation from this. Um, I don't believe that's what's intended. But what we do get clearly from this is that uh, you are to be as your master, as your teacher. For more modern term would be teacher. You are to be pursuing to become like your discipler. You want to learn by his example. You want to pattern your life after him. Every good sense that backs up what you are being taught. So it also means we should be very careful who, whom we choose to follow. Be very careful whom you choose to spend extra time with. Who you ask to be discipled by. Be very careful who you go and ask your questions and um, learn from. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Again, in chapter 11, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17, he says it again. So I don't think we should. I don't think we can miss it. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. So don't just do as I say. He's saying also do as I do. Mark them. Make a note. There's a man. There's a woman. There's an example of someone who's done well. Follow their example. Make a note of it so that you can have an example. And we are. Just fleshing out a little bit, what is discipleship? Let's turn now to Luke chapter 14. 
Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading verse 25. We'll just read down to the end. Then we'll go back through it and just make a few notes from this passage. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through verse 35. And there went went great multitudes with him. This is Jesus. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. It's not possible. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. First we see in verse 25, the large numbers that were following Jesus concerned him. Find me a modern day TV preacher today who gets worried about how many people are following him. Find me a Facebook preacher, a YouTube preacher, who gets worried about how many follows he has. Jesus being perfect, not being prone to pride or being lifted up. I would be my first concern if I have too much, too many people following me. How is, how is it affected my heart? Am I being, am I dangerously being lifted on a pedestal? That wasn't Jesus' concern. His concern were, are these people true disciples? Is my message too appealing to the carnal mind? So it seems there's different times Jesus said some things very on purpose to offend. Not just anybody, not turn away a a true seeking disciple, but to turn away those who perhaps don't have the right motives. Except you eat my flesh, drink my blood. He offended a lot of people there. And I think also with these words, he says, um, you've got to be a true disciple. Even though the verse we read there in John, and he says, uh, okay, so it was right after many believed on him. He says, you must also be my disciple. You must continue in my word. Don't just say, wow, you must be truly sent from God. So the large numbers concern Jesus. Some people are amazed that Jesus spent so much time and so much focus on only 12 people. You know, he could have gone larger than that. I think Jesus knew that when it comes to discipleship, it takes focus. And and you can only provide that level of focus for a few. I think that was actually a very large, that was a big task to take on 12. Jesus, with his 
very exceptional capabilities and, 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 and accurate perceptions. Uh, being God, he could do that. Probably most of us can't do more than a few. Maybe most of us can't do more than one or two or shouldn't try. But we are called to make disciples. But the large numbers did concern Jesus. He wanted that which was genuine. He was more concerned about quality than quantity. In verse 26, we see him telling us that we need to renounce relationships that may hinder or take prominence, take the place of, not just take the place of, but take any any space which belongs to following him. And he uses strong words. Hate not. If you do not hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. He uses strong words. I don't wish to to try to explain those words away or to to um, mellow them out. But I think that at the least we can say, if you will be like Jesus, you must put away all others. Allow space, time, attention, heart affection. Be jealous over that space. Fulfillment in relationship. There is a possibility that in a marriage, in a father-son or mother-daughter relationship, there is a closeness that is pursued, which should be space that is reserved for the affection of following Jesus Christ. We believe in strong families. We believe in strong family relationships. We believe in setting aside time. And I do. I believe with all the rest, along with all the rest of you. We must set aside time. We must do things on purpose to enjoy our family relationships. We believe in strong homes. And uh, we go to great lengths. May God give you and I wisdom as to exactly how far we should go. How much money should be invested And how the camping trips should look, what they should look like. All those things for these relationships that we have for our families. Question's been asked. Remember Brother Melvin over there? uh, He brought the challenge to us and he was asking questions and getting some, trying to stimulate us. um, Different points. He was coming back here to the States and seeing the state of the churches and things were being discussed and changes that were happening. He says, um, he was in a specific conversation where the question was asked, should the home be first or should the church be first? Which should take the front seat? And he said, I told them the church. My oldest son was sitting there in the room and he looked at him and he says, but dad, you always taught us it should be the home. But the reason he shifted is because he saw what was happening. I'll leave that for whatever it is. But I will say that may God help us to examine how we live. And we don't disservice that good which we intend for our children by giving them space that needs to be reserved for Jesus Christ and his church, the head and the body. If you're going to be Jesus' disciples, it takes everything. Allow nothing to compete 
allow nothing to compete. We foster good relationships in our homes, with our neighbors, with our business partners, with our clients, with whoever it is, all because of the encompassing purpose of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. These are a means to the end. They are not the end. I do love my children. I do get fulfillment out of my children and my friends and my brothers in Christ. There is emotional blessing. There is a sense of fulfillment that comes out of these relationships if they are properly um, properly cultivated. But remember, leave that space for Jesus Christ and keep the purpose. Why am I spending this time with this person? Why? Is my life filled with the purpose of being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus? Is that the primary? <clears throat> is this a, a part of that? Or is it the and is that an end in itself? <clears throat> we see in verse 27. Cross bearing. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the ESV, that verse says bear his own cross. Jesus bore his cross. He has a cross for you. He has, you have your own cross. I have my own cross to bear. I don't know what all it will be. I can tell you the last 10 years of some of the things that it has been. But I have my own cross to bear. If you haven't found your cross, maybe you haven't left all. Maybe you haven't allowed everything else in life to fall, to find its place under the purpose, the end. God's purpose Becoming like Christ and making others, showing others the way, teaching, guiding them to become like Christ. It will involve sacrifice. Let's just turn quickly to Philippians. <clears throat> Intentional living. means that you will put away, you'll be very happy to let other things fall to the side. In fact, you might uh, very distinctly label them as worthless, good things, religious things. You might even label them as worthless, something that would prevent you or even hinder you from this pursuit of discipleship. That's what Paul did in this passage in Philippians chapter 3. When I say good things, obviously they were things which were hindering him. They were religious things. Maybe they were good morals. But if that thing takes a place of prominence and of being an end in itself, that is what makes it no longer a good thing. That's what makes it no longer. That's what makes it um, no longer profitable. Makes it worthless and perhaps even a hindrance. So some of these things are things that I can't tell you. You must, before God, discern your own heart. <clears throat> Why am I spending this time with this person or this thing? Paul says, 
touching righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. I was stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, um, Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching law, a Pharisee. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. If it does not help me to pursue to that end. I want to be found in him, not with my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, so that I might know him. Not just to know what he teaches, but I want to know him. I want to understand him. I want to pattern my life after him. And the power of his resurrection, that sounds glorious. But he says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Be made conformable unto his death. Are you passionate about entering into the fellowship of his sufferings? Is that possible, possibly even a goal that we should have? Not as an end in itself. But I want to know him. If it helps me to to become more like him. It helps me to understand him. It helps me to partake of who Jesus is. Internalize him and his life and his experience and his teachings into my life. And to change what my life looks like. To be more like him. Then yes, I'll be happy to pursue that as a part of that. Sufferings. <clears throat> then he comes to this thing that for us Americans is a big thing. He starts talking about our stuff. And he says we have to forsake everything that we have in verse 33. After giving the example of the man who started to build a tower, the man uh, who went to go out to war, the king who went to go out to war, so what does it mean to count the cost? I know um, going out, walking the streets of the city to do evangelism, we often talked about getting people to count the cost. What does it mean to count the cost? Does it just mean you need to make sure you tell them that, you know, he might be in a, in a wrongful marriage relationship. It might mean he has to give up his smoking habit or his, or his addiction to the bottle, uh, whatever it is. Those are parts of counting the cost, but perhaps it comes home a bit more for you and I. He's talking about stuff, giving up everything he has. Have you given up everything that you have? Um, in the last, well, last couple months here, I purchased two vehicles. They are things that I have. Have I given them up? I can't be a disciple of Jesus if I haven't given them up. But there are two things that I have. I have a minivan. I have a pickup truck. So it happens the pickup truck is a super cab. It's got four doors. It's got leather seats. They're heated seats. I haven't tried pushing the button yet. I don't know if they, they heat up or not. Um, it's got cruise control. It's a very comfortable truck. Tell me. Did I waste money on a comfortable truck? Have I given up everything that I have? I invite you to stop by my house, take a look at my truck, 
and give me some input. <clears throat> I didn't tell you what age it is or how much rust it has. <clears throat> or if there was a cheaper truck I could have found. <clears throat> I don't mean to. To make light. I, I mean that we need to get practical. I mean that I have some things and I haven't lived ever in my life without some things. There are things I have. But Jesus still says that just like the man who set out to do something and found out he didn't have what it takes to finish the job to make it profitable. Have you set out in your Christian life? But there, you don't have what it takes to make it profitable. Count the cost. Are you going to make your Christian life profitable? Discipleship. What does it mean to you? Cross-bearing. Are you willing to sacrifice? Whosoever that he does not forsake all that he hath cannot be my disciple. All of it. Make sure there is nothing that you have which could be even approaching to taking up some space that belongs to Jesus Christ. Any space that would hinder you from what the priorities, the investments, the time, the focus that it takes to follow Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and in, in Africa, they laugh at a saying that they hear, that, they, that the, the English people use. We have this saying, time is money. They laugh about that in Africa. You know, we're trying to get something done. Oh, yeah, that's right. They say time is money, isn't it? You know. I think, to some extent, probably all humankind kind of understands that, to some extent, some more than others. Um, but their time is relationships. That's. That's what their time is valued for. That's what they mark it by. You know, how much time can I spend with this person or with that person? Get to know that person. <clears throat> I say it's not who you, it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> that gets you ahead in life. <clears throat> time is money in America. Ask my wife and I. And you can tell you about how that is quite jarring to us right now. Time actually is money in America. I don't think that is um, bad morals directly. It's reality. Okay? But are you willing to sacrifice your time? Because if you're, willing to, if you're thinking about sacrificing your time, you have to realize that it's going to mean sacrificing some money. It's going to mean changing your lifestyle. Perhaps. Perhaps a little bit. Perhaps a lot. You hardly have decent character if you don't put in your at least 40 or 50 hours a week. I'm not going to give a judgment call on that one. I'm, I'm doing that myself right now. <clears throat> and maybe I should be putting in 60. But I would like to inform you that's not the standard view of the world around. <clears throat> that's a bit unique. 
Of course, depending on who you're comparing with and which culture. <clears throat> but Jesus used relationships, didn't he? <clears throat> it requires a lot of time to make disciples. It requires a lot of time. Jesus goes on here in Luke 14, and he says about salt. In my Bible, the publisher put in a little paragraph marker there at the beginning of verse 34. I don't think he's switching topics on us here. I think it all relates to the same. Are you going to be influence? Are you going to be salt and light? This goes together. But Jesus uses strong language here. He says he cannot be my disciple. Remember, being a disciple is not just agreeing with what Jesus taught. To be a disciple, what was the definition we used in the beginning? Who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. Are you assisting? Are you a channel? You receive it so you can pass it on. Together as a brotherhood, as a sisterhood, as a church. Is that just the the mark of who we are? Is your life busy assisting others to become like Jesus? You know, we have a certain amount of time that we're used to spending church life, studying the word of God together, and doing discipleship. What we're doing here today is discipleship. It's a level of discipleship. We do it when we meet on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. We do it when we meet on Saturday mornings for prayer meetings. <clears throat> and I'd like to say that it seems to be fairly sufficient. It seems to... It's been a blessing. We raise our children... And we have been able to continue in my work. Been able to have that steadfastness. <clears throat> and you're making disciples. You are, dads and moms. And many are doing a very good job. You are passing on to the third and fourth generation, and I believe your children, grandchildren, to a large part, will pass on a lot of very good things that you are teaching them. You're making daily disciples. You're taking time every day. I believe, I believe that of, of my brothers and sisters here. I believe you are intentionally setting aside time. You are teaching them little instructions here. Don't act that way. Don't do this. Do do this. Respond this way. As well as opening the Bible. Maybe a set time every day. And maybe it's not every single day. But it is a habit on a daily level. It doesn't wait until it comes to church. 
Let's look a little bit of uh, at a um, an interesting thing here. Um, in, in the book of Acts, I'm going to give a disclaimer before I turn to Acts. Um, Acts is a book which is a bit unique. It's an era in church history, actually a somewhat short time frame, which is a bit unique. There are ideals lifted up in Acts. I don't think that means that we should not pursue them. I don't think that means we should not preach and teach them. But I do think we need to put it in the context of the epistles that this, everything that happened in the book of Acts and the intensity which it happened isn't necessarily what is required or necessarily even the, the, um, the, the, the thing that, that has been normal church life and, and should be necessarily normal church life in every way um, today. So I'm give that disclaimer. I'm not giving this. Uh, I, I, want to, I want you to understand how I'm, I'm giving this from the book of Acts. But there's a word um, in the book of Acts, daily. Daily. Of course, it's a common word. It shows up many places in Scripture. But the only place that you are going to find where this word daily is used in Scripture in helping us to give us instruction about um, uh, spiritual things that we should do daily, uh, exercises, um, church things or anything. Really, all these things relate to discipleship. <clears throat> and I believe this was needed on a daily level for a unique situation. We had a transition. We have a transition going on here. We have the birth of the church. We have a lot of really important stuff that has got to happen fast. People are losing their moorings from generations they've been steady in the Jewish faith. And they're leaving all, and quite literally. They're sharing their goods. They're leaving behind relationships. Many of them almost all are almost like someone might experience when they get excommunicated from the Amish church, put in the band. Some of these kinds of things are happening. They're floating. They need to develop community. They need desperately, they need something intense to get them rooted again. It's very dangerous to be floating by yourself. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. In verse 47, uh, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. <clears throat> there was a man uh, lame from his mother's womb in chapter 3, verse 2. And he was laid daily at the gate of the temple. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 42. Daily in the temple in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, when we see uh, about the need for deacons, it was because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Chapter 16, verse 5, uh, the church was established in the faith and increased in number daily. Have of the Bereans in chapter 17, verse 11, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Verse 17 of chapter 17, they disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Chapter 19, verse 9. There were those who were hardened, believed not, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And so he, Paul departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Juan Tyrannus. I wonder why daily is mentioned. I think it was significant. 
Think about the things that you do daily. They, they hold a lot of prominence in your life. A lot of importance. I believe we're very effective making disciples of our children. Any parent here who takes maybe a short amount of time where it's focused, where the whole family maybe is together, but they take this responsibility seriously daily. Making disciples. It's very effective. Do we understand to get your, forgive me, moms, to get your heathen six-month-old to being a godly young man or young lady, it takes daily discipleship. Can we understand also that to get a heathen who might be your neighbor or someone that you meet through a business contact or someone that you meet in the city of Lebanon from this culture this generation to get that heathen man or woman to be someone who patterns his life or her life after Jesus Christ to make disciples why would it not also take daily discipleship daily perhaps it's going to take some demonstration of what discipleship means by us uh, giving ourselves to work it out and get deeper into each other's relationships, deeper into um, holding me accountable, my thoughts, the lusts of my heart, my words, my relationships with my children, develop a pattern of learning how to be free, open, personal, humble. And if there could be such love and commitment to one another that we can be that vulnerable to one another frequently, intimately, and deeply, that love will hide the multitude of sins and all those fruits of the Spirit will Work in that context. And it doesn't drive us away from each other, but we, we, we desire this. There's two-way relationships. We desire this, and we have this. And, and this is the standard. This is the norm. Is it possible that that very level of intimacy could, be some, be, could in itself be so attractive that the heathen would know us by our love and that in itself could be an agent to bring them to Jesus Christ. How can we do it daily? First and foremost, we have to be willing to take a hard look at our lifestyles. We have to be willing to forsake all. We have to be willing to give it a place in our schedules and our lives. Not only do we have to look at our material possessions and how much time that it takes to, to earn and spend our money, we also have to look at our social relationships and how much time should we spend with the fun things and the fun people 
and those cozy family relationships because of its funness and its coziness. How much do we use those relationships for discipleship? What about seeking employment in a place where it will give you opportunity to take those little nuggets of time and make disciples of a heathen man? If I can use that term, I don't mean that in a derogatory way whatsoever. I'm talking about someone who simply does not know Jesus. I'm not talking about just growing our church by getting people to move from one church to another. I'm talking about bringing someone who does not know Jesus step by step, patiently, faithfully, bit by bit, teaching, showing, loving, drawing. Is it possible for us to do something daily? Maybe it's not. Could we do things to make it possible? These are questions that I have as I try to understand your culture. Questions that I need you to give me. You need to show me the way. And I will, in whatever way I can, try to do the same. Maybe you are an employer and seeking employees. Maybe you can be intentional about seeking employees that you might be able to disciple on a daily way. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you can find a neighbor. Invite her to tea. And do it multiple times a week. Just to read the scriptures together. Talk a little bit. Chat. Be friendly. But intentional. This is why we're doing this. Read the scriptures together. I'm sure that your husband or another sister in the church could give you ideas. Could give you direction. How to do that. What scriptures to read. How to be intentional. How to ask the right questions. That can show love. And at the same time intentionally drawing them to Jesus Christ. I'd like to say again that I don't believe it's right for all of us to go far away. I don't think that's God's plan. Some ways, there's a whole lot more heathenism here and in your workplaces than the setting that I've been in the last five years. But I do believe that it is God's plan, it's God's purpose, that this local congregation would grow those bringing you and I being directly involved and bringing from people who do not know maybe anything about Jesus. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. To bring them on into maturity here. I believe it's you have a part. I believe all of us have a responsibility. Because if you indeed, do we believe that you can be a Christian and have hope of eternal life if you are not a disciple of Jesus? I think I've heard it from this pulpit. I believe it's something distinctive about what we believe. You can't relegate discipleship just to a, an elite group, not just to the leaders, not just to the, uh, to, uh, the monks. We don't have that elite idea here. We believe that it's all or nothing. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We believe that Jesus claims all. And if you are going to be a, a believer that has hope of eternal life, 
you must also be a disciple. As Jesus said, don't only believe on me, you must also be my disciple. And to be a disciple, as we see, means to make disciples. That's part of being a disciple. Not only to accept, but also to propagate. Do we really believe that to enter the kingdom we must forsake all and choose discipleship? According to the definition of discipleship, can you truly claim to be a disciple if you're not making disciples? What if, what if you could experience this always one-on-one by someone being discipled and always one-on-one discipling? At least one. What would that do to your life? What purpose would it bring? How much intentional living would happen? How much intentional living would it require? What if you could experience this? What if you must? If indeed you have life and you will propagate it to your next generation. May God bless.